that I was determining my own success based on what other people were saying, whether it's my parents or seeing other successful friends in other colleges. But at, by the time December hit and my first year at Seattle U, I decided, you know, I don't really care about what other people are doing at this point. <laughs> Welcome to What Does It Take podcast. We have Alan joining us today. Alan is a PM at Microsoft and has been with the company for two years. He started with bioengineering major at University of Washington with an intention to be a doctor, but completely changed his course to not only switch his major to computer science, but also transfer his school to Seattle University. He did an internship at Microsoft and became a full-time PM after that. In his spare time, Alan likes to play soccer, running, and do volunteering. Welcome, Alan. Hi, Ray, and thank you for inviting me to your podcast. Yeah, no problem. Um, tell us a little bit more about what you do currently at Microsoft. So I'm a product manager too in Azure Data, specifically in SQL Server. And specifically, I create experiences for database administrators, database developers, and data scientists to have better experiences working with data. In particular, I build cross-platform and open source tooling to help these personas work with their data. Okay, nice, nice. So before we jump into your previous experience, um, a lot of my audiences are curious about what program manager is in just a general sense. And I understand that the specific role can be different from team to team and company to company, but in your view, what is a program manager? Specifically at Microsoft or just in general? Just in general from your perspective. Great. So as you said, uh, the term PM can be used all over the place. Every company may call it something different, but they may have overlapping roles. So usually when you think about PM, you could break it down to product manager, program manager, and project manager. So whenever I've been working with interns this summer specifically, and they are always usually asking, Alan, what exactly is a program manager and where does it all fit in? Like, where, how do I start having impact as a program manager? So usually when you think about what industry standard is these days, um, I usually like to think about all these different terms as a spectrum. So on one side, you'll have a lot more of the product management. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you'll have a lot more project management. And the idea is that with product management, you're spending a lot more time answering the fundamental questions of what are we building and why are we building this? As opposed to on project management side, you might imagine it as more of an execution role. So making sure that things are released on time and attending the scrums and uh, making sure that you're able to release this solution at the end of it. And where the program manager would be is that they would lean to one, or one side or the other um, in terms of the spectrum. So it totally depends on the team that you might be doing more project management tasks just because that's what the team requires, or you might be doing more product management tasks. So that's generally where I would place program manager as somewhere in between, um, as opposed to those different roles where it might be like you're hired to specifically do those tasks. And is your role more on the product side or project side or your specific role at Microsoft currently? How, how would you describe that? Gotcha. So one thing that's really important is that you still need both, 
regardless of whatever PM that you end up being, whatever your title is, you're still going to need to be able to answer what are we building and why are we building this thing? And you should also be able to help engineering take things to execution. So it's just a matter of prioritization and seeing how much time you're spending on one side of the spectrum versus the other. And sometimes it may change depending on the product life cycle. Um, so specifically for me, uh, we're our team is actually going through a change where we're trying to change the title of program manager to product manager. And this is due to a new CVP that came in and they wanted to align us with what industry standard is. And it seems that we would like our PMs to be leaning a lot more towards the product management side as opposed to some of the more traditional um, program management at Microsoft. So this means that we should be focusing a lot more time on with spending time with customers and really understanding what their problem areas are so that we could start brainstorming these solutions to answer these two questions. Um, let's jump to your previous experiences and background. Uh, there's quite a few interesting points that I wanted to talk about. Uh, let's start with your major. You, as I mentioned in the intro, you started out with bioengineering with an intention to be a doctor. So tell us a little bit more about what you knew about bioengineering then and how long you were in bioengineering and when did you switch gotcha. to computer science? Yeah, so I love telling this story, but let's see if we could get the important details out of this. So to start off, I guess we could go back all the way to high school. High school, I feel like I was very good at school um, I knew how to, you know, get a high GPA and do all these extracurriculars and all these different things. However, what it mean, what it meant was that I didn't, I wasn't very independent. And the idea was that whatever my parents told me, they would tell me, try to take the hardest classes, go do all this, ex like do violin, do soccer, do track, do all these things at the same time. Um, basically, my life was whatever my parents were telling me to do and told me that this would set me up for success. So as Part of this, one analogy that I share is that when I was a senior and applying to colleges to figure out what I want to do after high school, um, my mom actually pulled me aside and said, oh, so my friend's son is studying bioengineering at University of Washington and he <laughs> wants to be a doctor. So you should do that too, since you want to be a doctor too. There's always that mom's friend's son exactly. or daughter <laughs> the, <laughs> that you mythical. get compared to against. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So... Uh, as a result of that, I applied to 13 colleges and only applied bioengineering on the checkbox. So, so all of them were bioengineering? All of them were bioengineering. And at the time, I didn't really know what it was. All I really knew was that maybe it would help me stand out from other people applying to medical school. And that I knew was like a lot of people wanted to do it. But I still didn't really know what exactly bioengineering was. I kind of just blindly listened to my parents at that point. Okay. And then you go to college now and you started taking this bioengineering classes and electives and whatnot. And how long did you end up doing bioengineering? When I graduated from high school, the very next day, I started applying to bioengineering research labs because I had some contacts that were already in the department and they recommended me to go start applying to research labs. So I did that. I got into a research lab about prosthetics and yeah, basically, I made sure I took the hardest classes in my freshman year. They were all science and math classes, um, did research at the same time. And I continued this for about two years and then one quarter. And by the end of this whole thing, including a couple summer quarters, I was just completely mentally exhausted. Um, I 
ended up really hating bioengineering. I hated organic chemistry. Like I did not, I was really, really unhappy. I think from my experience, you know, uh, that transition from teenager to being an adult comes with your thinking or deeper thinking into what you want in your life instead of just abiding by and just, you know, casually just listen to whatever your parents say. And I think that's the first step that the adulthood really means. And it sounds like you did that um, to start thinking about what you really want. And instead of just trying to be your best at what your parents tell you to do. So from there, now what? Like you don't know what to do. Like you don't like bioengineering, but you switched to computer science. So tell us about that transition because this is crucial because a lot of students will go through that. Even myself, I didn't like the major I started with. I started with economics, but you know, it was completely different from what I expected. And the transition, people say major is not the end of the world. You might not be doing something that you study, you, what you did as a major, but how do you make that transition? Walk, walk us through that. Mm. So I felt very fortunate that I did have a very great family to support me as I went through this transition to figure out what I wanted to do. Not everyone is lucky or is fortunate to have that um, opportunity, but I did try to take the most of it. So that quarter, I only took one class while just trying to like figure out what exactly I wanted to do. It was a lot of self-reflection, a lot of hikes, a lot of uh, being at a coffee shop and just trying to figure out where my next step was. So... From all this reflection, um, I realized that I really liked writing. So I almost was thinking about becoming an English major, but then I decided, no, there's probably something else. Um, I also noticed that of the classes that I did take in the first two years at University of Washington, um, I really enjoyed the applied math classes and MATLAB in particular. So um, being able to have that initial coding experience encouraged me a little bit more to um, eventually transition to my next point. So, uh, and on top of that, I was also part of a Twitch community. If you're familiar with what that is, um, it's like a video game streaming. Yeah, of course. Um, and from there, there was, I got the opportunity to meet with developers all across the world. So you can think about, I had made friends with people in New Zealand, friends in Germany, friends in uh, London and just all across the United States and they would encourage me to look into different small projects like writing some bot in MIRC or in Python and from these initial experiences combined with a lot of the self-reflection I went through um, eventually I decided that I would take a leap of faith and take CSE 142 at University of Washington in spring quarter. Now, to provide some background why this is a difficult decision was that a lot of my friends at the time, um, just around me and also in bioengineering, found CSE 142 to be very intimidating. Like a lot of people will really struggle with that first class. Um, That's the intro to computer science class? Intro to C uh, CS class. Okay. And at this point, I really had no programming experience outside of MATLAB. Um, but I decided, you know, this is my life. So I'm going to go take this risk and see how it turns out. And it turns out that I actually ended up loving it a lot. So I didn't do like amazing in it, but it did uh, open my eyes that this is probably where I wanted to actually be at. Interesting, interesting. Um, so after taking that one class and now you're starting to realize computer science might be something that you want to pursue more. 
So where do you go from there? Mm, great question. So uh, <laughs> one thing that's important to share with everyone here is that I don't think I'm a very smart person. So I hope that when you hear this podcast that you can relate to this, that literally anyone can go follow the steps that I'm sharing with you um, because, you know, some people are just, you know, really, really gifted, really smart. So they'll find their success. But for those of you that are just trying to work hard and be able to, you know, constant self-improvement, I think you can get there. So what I went through was that in that summer quarter, I applied to five different majors at University of Washington because I still wanted to stay there. My family went to University of Washington, like it would just be good to stay there. Um, but then I decided, well, well, I applied to five places or five majors and I got rejected to all five. So another uh, setback in, <laughs> in my journey. Uh, so as a result of that, I immediately applied to uh, UW Bothell and Seattle University. And the reasoning was that I really wanted to study computer science. So I guess that if things weren't working out at University of Washington, that I just needed to have a change of scenery and go to these other places. So I ended up choosing Seattle University. Let's take it back to PM. You know, doing an internship uh, as a PM is a you know very important or a lot. It, it's a step that a lot of people take to get a full time offer eventually. One of the things that st stood out to me most was that you did three internships as a PM. Can you walk us through why you did so many? Mm -hmm. um, if it's so many, in your view. <laughs> Great. So uh, let, let's start back. Um... A bit. So one of them was a PM, but two of them were software dev internships. But basically, uh, there was a time around December, I decided that with, you know, this new mentality to life, and <laughs> a lot more joy out there, I guess. Um, I decided that a lot of my life, I was relying as similar to what you were hinting to was that I was determining my own success based on what other people were saying, whether it's my parents, or seeing other successful friends in other colleges. But at by the time December hit and my first year at Seattle U, I decided, you know, I don't really care about what other people are doing at this point. <laughs> What's most important is my personal growth. And if it means that I'm going to keep tripping and falling and all these kind of things, I'm just going to, you know, it's just another thing that you just have to go through in life. So I decided that I'm going to keep applying to an intern uh, in to, for to other companies for internships until I get one. So I set the I threw the gauntlet down and was like from January until end of the school year in June, I'm going to keep applying to places and until I get an internship. So obviously my first resume was very rough, um, but from the over a five month period, I did apply to a hundred companies. And I now I didn't apply all of them at once. Um, I did them in batches. And the reasoning behind that is that I learned from each iteration of this. So rather than a, a lot of people run into this mistake where they try to have the perfect resume or they wait to apply until they have X activity to put on their resume. However, the best way to get the best resume is from constant iteration. Just like software, you don't just rely on having this amazing first release of some video game or something like that. It takes constant iteration, future releases, customer feedback, which are the recruiters and hiring managers to eventually get that really great resume. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say that's the same exact concept that Lean Startup, the book, describes as a constant iteration. You'll never have a perfect 
first product or first feature. What's more important is that you set, you um, release your MVP, which is a minimum viable product, and get different feedbacks. You know, uh, discuss it again, take a step back, and decide where you want to go in terms of the direction. And that's more important than wait a few years, polish your resume to the perfection that you think up to a level that you think you're ready now, and then start applying. Um, that's you know, very interesting you brought that up because that's something that we actually talked about in the previous episode too, mm. that a lot of students actually think they're not good enough to apply or they're not good enough to do certain projects because they don't know how to code or they don't know how to do this. But if you don't know how to code, then you can start learning yourself. There's a lot of resources out there or you could start taking different online classes or find a person that can help you with the coding and you do the planning, which is a lot of, P, what, it, what it comes down to as a PM, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to just bring that up as a very key takeaway here. Yep, yep. So as a result of this, after five months of getting lots of rejections, getting lots of no responses, which many of you may be familiar with, um, and then from this, I basically got rejected from 93 companies, when you look at the end of it all, and then I ended up getting only one offer from all of this, Hundreds. pain yeah, exactly from the hundred and then i did get interview offers after i accepted my offer but uh let's not count those because i was too late at and was point. this for pm or a software dev software dev software dev um just because there's not as many pm roles out there so i just really want to get one internship that's in tech so and I did you know about pm at this point yeah so i had no idea pm existed i think they don't even teach that in the curriculum at least in the first couple of years okay interesting so i just was like okay if you have a computer science degree you're gonna become a software engineer so you should get a software engineering internship so that's pretty much how my thought process was at the time not the best mindset but yes that was my mindset at the time well that's interesting because that's one of the reasons why i'm doing this podcast because my myself also didn't know about pm until very close to my graduation and recruiter reached out to me and said do you want to try out for pm or software dev and that's when i first heard about pm so when i looked into it what pm was i just thought that's a perfect fit for me and then just prepared and did an interview in two weeks and got an offer there so that's great i was thinking if i went through that i'm sure a lot of other students will go through that too and that's how i you know, actually got started with this podcast to bring more awareness to that PM community. And it's not just software engineer that's available out there doing a uh, programming or computer science major. Okay, so take us back to how you got the internship as a Microsoft PM after you doing the first intern as a software engineer uh, intern at Warehouser. Great. I did apply to Microsoft for software dev because oh, okay. I didn't know what PM was. Um, so I just applied to software dev because I felt like I had the most relatable experience with that. Um, so I made it to the phone interview and I passed it, which was great. <laughs> um, and they agreed to have me on the onsite as a software engineer. Um, so on the, on the onsite, it was very interesting because my first interviewer, um, didn't really ask me any coding questions. He just asked me some like very broad questions from my past experience, even about bioengineering. And he even talked about a design exercise about how I would cure a disease on the whiteboard, which is a very unique question. Um, I did not expect that considering how many hours I put into cracking the coding interview at the time. Um, but, you know, 
it was just something I guess I was used to just from all the different projects that I was doing in my classes and generally being the one that leads these projects and doing lots of whiteboarding. So, you know, I just had a conversation with him and he was really impressed because it turns out he was a director. Um, the other three interviews were all typical coding questions for software dev interns. But at the end of it, they told me, congratulations, we want to give you an offer, but it's for PM. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> what is the PM? Is this, uh, I don't know what this means. So many questions ran into my head, but wow. at the end of it, I was just like, you know, this is Microsoft. This is a company I want to be at, and I'm just going to accept this position and go learn what exactly this role is. Interesting. So did you go on to research yourself what PM is? Yes, <laughs> I did a lot of research behind that. Uh, mainly, I did have some good friends who were PMs. Um, I didn't. I thought they were like managing people at the time, but it turns out that's completely wrong. Um, so I did talk with them a lot, had like lunches with them. I did a lot of online research too, just you know, basic googling or binging or <laughs> whatnot. Um, and then I also was asking my professors too. So in general, I was in my junior year, I was taking a lot more project-based classes. So just naturally, I transitioned to be the one who was helping define requirements, uh, help figure out what exactly the problems that we're trying to solve are and then help the other CS students uh, to deliver our solutions. So um, as a result of that, I think I was pretty well prepared heading into my first PM internship. Uh, but even then, like even though you take all these different classes, you still have to learn as soon as you get started on your first day on the internship. So, uh, you know, it was a very eye-opening experience, but to kind of sum it up, I absolutely love my time as a Microsoft PM intern. And it was so encouraging enough that I decided that this is what I wanted to do after college. So what stands out to me most there is you never intended to prepare for the PM internship or go on to do a PM full time, but you got an offer as a PM, even coming from the interview specifically that they did for software dev intern. And I think that says a lot about you as a person doing a uh, self-reflection. And if you're taking on a project in a computer science class, you probably did a lot of a planning and thinking why you're building those features, why you're building that particular project, more so than just do what the TA or what the professor tells you to build. And I think that little bit by little, all these little um, experience, you know, helped you prepare without you realizing, and then got to the point where Microsoft probably thought that you're probably more better fit as a PM than software dev. So that just stands out to me a lot. And it's astonishing that actually that's how you found out about PM, <laughs> right? <laughs> so Alan, so you did your internship as a PM at Microsoft. And did you get a return offer as a full-time employee to come back to work for Microsoft? Uh, yes, so I was fortunate enough to show that I could perform at a PM level at Microsoft. So they gave me a return offer and I happily accepted it. So, Let's move on to the audience question. This is a new segment that I added where YouTube viewer can post a question on the comment and I ask that to the next guest PM that I bring to this podcast. 
First question is from Priyanka. What should entry-level PM resume consist of? Great question. Um, um, so basically at the time, I didn't really know what great resume principles to follow were. It really came down to just testing it out and seeing how people respond to it. Um, for 100% for anyone that's entry-level, you should never have a resume more than one page. It's just simple fact. If a recruiter has to go through 100 resumes a day and yours is a two-pager, you may not even be considered. So please keep it to one page. Um, I did realize that uh, the traditional resumes have just a single column, but I do have seen these two-column resumes recently. So I think that one's okay too. Um, either one does isn't a huge advantage over the other, except possibly for resume crawlers where it might be a little bit difficult for it to process. Um, but again, like either the format of it isn't as important. Um, in terms of the structure of the resume, um, I know a lot of people want to include everything just because they. this is probably the first time that they're applying to things since college. And in college, especially when you think about the common application, is you just list everything. You list like 10 activities, you list uh, everything that you ever did because you want to get credit for doing this thing. Like you did this uh, mission in like Africa or something, right? Then you want to um, include that on your resume. However, it's really important to be concise with your resume. So... What I always suggest is to think about your user. So just like as a PM, you have to understand who your customers are. Um, and in this case, is a recruiter. In this case, it's the first step is a recruiter. Um, remember, the resume isn't going to get you the job. It's just going to get you an interview. The interview is all you at that point. So in order to get past that first screen of the recruiter, um, you have to make their life as easy as possible. So always start your name. I, I say that some people do forget to include that. Oh. <laughs> so please put your name uh, next to your contact information. So that includes things like email, phone number, uh, maybe the city where you live, and then any relevant portfolios, GitHub, those type, LinkedIn, those kind of things. That should be on the top because the recruiter needs to have a way to contact you. Um, the very next part is your education. So this is particularly more important for those of you following the traditional college degrees. So if you are pursuing a CSD degree currently, um, that degree is amazing. It's, uh, it's Recruiters love to see that, and that's one of their first things that they look for. Um, you do hear that you know companies are a lot more open to beyond the traditional four-year degrees. But if you do have it, just show it at the very top of your resume. Um, and then make sure to include your graduating year because a recruiter should know when you're going to graduate. Um, so education still goes on the top. Um, if it is a non-traditional uh, you know, career path where you don't have a four-year degree, uh, then this is where the next part is important, which is experience. So for people that have degrees, um, next thing you should list is any relevant experience. So any internship experience should definitely be shown on the top. Um, but then you just put anything that is work experience. So uh, this is just validation that you know you are able to prove to a company that you could be a good employee. So please list that. Um, but and, if you are still a freshman or sophomore at college, mm -hmm. you might not have that internship experience right. or any uh, project experience, right? right. So what would you say you can include at that point? I see. So it's still okay that if you're a freshman, so it depends on your persona. If you're a freshman, it's still okay to include some of your high school things, for example. So anything that might be relevant to like leadership or 
uh, some of the club activities or whatnot, you could still include that as experience. Um, but obviously, it's very hard to get an internship as a freshman. Uh, but make sure you do capture that work. So now if you're talking about your junior or senior and you don't have an internship at that point, um, this is where it's important to uh, you know, list any possible <laughs> relevant experience. But in this case that you realize that you don't have any relevant experience, this is where it becomes important that you need to go make time to build that experience. So what that looks like is... Uh, Join your CS club, join different hackathons in the local area, work on side projects. These are all very important ways to show experience without necessarily having an internship. So uh, you have to be a little bit proactive here, but definitely experiences should be shown after education. So um, yeah, what to add on to that, what I tell uh, students is that you can add your course that's relevant, that you feel like you really excelled in it, and the project that you did in the class was very unique that re even recruiters will say, oh, that's very unique and that's interesting, then I would advise you can include it. But my general recommendation is not to include courses because think about it, other students in the same course or same school will probably put that course projects as one of the experiences there. So that's why I recommend just to add on to what you said, like try to explore if you can do more side projects on your own because that's what makes you unique, right? Right. Um, so then the good follow-up question to that is that people ask, like, when should I include leadership? When should I include, like, uh, awards? When should I include uh, coursework? So in general, the traditional structural resume that I imagine for a junior or senior or even just, like, a young adult or young or early career resume should be uh, education, experience, projects, and then skills. Those are the four critical ones that you should put out there. If there's any that are missing, especially if you're a freshman or sophomore or like transitioning from another career, is that if there's a section that's missing, then you substitute in if you have leadership experience, coursework, or awards. So I would say those top four generally work for me just from seeing how recruiter respond to my resume and doing that constant iteration as we discussed in the past. Um, but yeah, I would say those four are the fundamental ones that you should definitely include, including any links to like relevant GitHub projects. But yeah, I, I feel like this structure has been super successful for me and it's something that I always encourage uh, interns and students to follow. Yeah, and one another thing that students can benefit is the career counseling that each school has. And for me personally, I benefited from going to these counselors and get my resume reviewed and even going beyond to talk to people who got a job as a PM or software dev, just looking at the people who walked the path before me to see what they did. And maybe, you know, just take a bits and bits from like different resumes to absorb it to what I need from my perspective. Exactly. my experience yeah you just got to get feedback if you just only see it from your lens you're not going to really be able to capture what someone with a unique background how they would react to your resume so i encourage you to you know talk with counselors talk with friends talk with uh, mentors you trust professors uh, but just don't be afraid don't be embarrassed about anything in your resume this is the critical time in your life who cares if someone thinks that you don't have enough experience just get that feedback decide if it's good feedback and then go iterate on your resume Awesome. So the last bit before we end is a couple of reflection questions on yourself. And first is, 
What is one thing you would tell your past self to keep doing and past self to do more of, past self to not do? And why is that? And how does, how does that tie into your current role as a PM? I think the biggest thing, um, if we think about either high school Allen or first two years Allen at University of Washington, um, is that, you know, you just really need to not be afraid of being embarrassed, not being afraid of failing or like trying to measure your self-worth on other people. Um, I actually encourage past Allen to uh, go take risks. Uh, don't you know, drown out all the outside noise and figure out like how do you put yourself in uncomfortable situations so that you can go learn and grow from those areas. Um, as soon as I started to embrace getting rejected and getting rejected by majors, getting rejected by uh, companies and all these different things, I eventually got to the point where I got rejected so much that it never bothered me anymore. And that's kind of how I approach life these days as well. Um, you could apply to so many different areas. One area that I wish I applied a little bit more is speaking Korean, but we'll get to that in a future day. Um, but basically, yeah, just past Alan, uh, don't be so afraid of holding on to this ego or whatever self, uh, whatever you imagine yourself you wanna be in trying to avoid any situation where you could be embarrassed. Embrace that embarrassment and you'll really grow so much faster. That's a great answer. Um, what would be your advice to current students or industry professional who's trying to make it into the tech PM role? Hmm. Okay. So I guess one thing that is the most important part about a PM that I feel like is underrated and not everyone truly will understand it is empathy. Empathy is what's going to stand out for what is going to be a okay PM and a really great PM. Um, just because of all the different people that you're going to interact with, you're going to be working with engineers, you're going to be working with customers, you're going to work with legal, other PMs, UX designers, marketing, content writers, all these types of people that have all very diverse work styles and approaches to life. And really the only way to be able to you know, deliver a product and be able to make all these other people successful comes from empathy. And how do you build empathy is to basically embrace diversity. So go try to meet new people, not just surround yourself with people who all think the same and just, you know, learn to speak with them, learn about what they go through and then apply that as you have those interactions with them as well. Um, you know, some people, uh, may have really strong opinions about this design and your immediate reaction will be like, oh, I put so much work into this. Why does this person criticize me for this? When you may need to take a step back and realize, oh, this is how they view things and uh, this is how I view things. I just didn't think about how I approach this person. There's no right or wrong answer, right? Exactly. So being able to deal with all this ambiguity and also to just really embrace what it's like to work as these different people will help you build a better product. So, you know, when you're developing an app, are you thinking about someone who is a blind IT worker? How if they're going to be using this software every day? How are you bringing accessibility into your product um, and all these different things? Um, yeah, no, I think empathy is a great point. And me, myself being a PM too, empathy is something that uh, everybody should definitely try to um, work towards building more of and it's just like a muscle 
And when you go work out, go to the gym, your muscle builds up over time, but you don't see the differences every day. I think same with the empathy or same with any kind of soft skills, to be honest with you. It's not visible. It's, that's why it's called soft skill. But it's same as muscle. You need to think for yourself how you can build the empathy or the soft skill um, cater to your particular situation wherever you are to you know maybe you need a different experience maybe you need to go out there and meet new people or maybe you're um, you know go to travel to some different places and see new things whatever forms it may be but it's something that everybody needs to ponder and think more of to see what you need to do to build that muscle exactly and it's something you can incorporate into your everyday life so this is why i love giving this advice to students because it's not some like oh this huge time commitment that you have to go to some hackathon overnight and whatnot um, this is something you can start doing around the people around you the way that you interact with you know people around campus the way you interact with um, campus staff or recruiters or everyone all the people that you interact with there's an opportunity there for you to practice empathy so i encourage you to whenever you do feel like you have a strong response to something to reflect why you have that response and then react appropriately so it's going to take some time it just takes constant iterations just as we said for resumes and applying to places uh, but eventually once you really start to know what it really means to be empathetic uh, you're going to have a very long and successful career Alan is a very huge in being a mentor for other people um, coming from his previous experience as a uh, going through the failure and just changing course throughout his life. And, you know, if you ever need any, if you ever need some help or maybe quick questions that Alan can answer, how can audience find you? Oh, that's great. Um, so I guess you could reach out to me on LinkedIn. I get a lot of requests on there from just various things about what it's like to work at Microsoft, uh, what is it like to be a product manager at Microsoft. So feel free to send requests over on LinkedIn. Um, I also have a Twitter, which I use for work. So Alan U SQL, so A-L-A-N-Y-U-S-Q-L. Um, but feel free to tweet out at me there. I'm trying to use that a little bit more. Uh, I mostly just use that for announcements, but Otherwise, uh, you could just comment on the channel and I'll try to answer some questions there. Um, I'm also open to any future talks just about product management overall. I know for this podcast, there's a lot more about the origins of Alan. Yeah, um, but it's all happy, about you. Yeah, I always have lots of uh, hot takes in general of product management. So happy to come to future talks. Yeah, for sure. Maybe something we can do down the road. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for uh, sharing your story again. Yeah. Thanks for coming by. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to What Does It Take podcast. Again, this was Ray, aka the PM Guy. You can search up the PM Guy on YouTube to get access to interviews of PMs with unique backgrounds. And also, you can search up What Does It Take on any podcast platforms you use. You can search me up on LinkedIn profile by typing Ray Kim as well. Vicky Chu helped out with the video editing and if you like to help out with this project whether if your talent lies in video shoots, audio editing, script writing, marketing, we have our door open to any offer so shoot me a message. We also plan to visit different universities to do a live fireside chat slash Q&A to connect on a face-to-face -face level and also to hear from students directly about any challenges that come with job hunting. 
If you think your school or organization will benefit from us visiting, let us know and let's see if we can accommodate a visit. We will be back with another episode that interviews PMs with unique background. If you want to be the first one to be notified of our new episode, make sure to subscribe to PM Guy YouTube channel or What Does It Take on any podcast platform you use. Until next time, peace.